welcome to the third episode of Season 2 of Dr. Music. I'm Matthew Morillo. Thank you so much for joining me again. Today we're going to be looking at a suite of pieces by Maurice Ravel, French composer of the 20th century, called Ma Mère Loire. You know what that is? Mother Goose. Yeah, he wrote a series of pieces based on some of the Mother Goose nursery rhymes that we all grew up with. And he wrote it for two pianos at first, in 1910, but then a year later, he expanded it into a ballet for a full orchestra. You remember a lot of the Mother Goose stories, right? Baba, Black Sheet, Humpty Dumpty, Jack and Jill went up the hill, Little Miss Muffet, Mary had a little lamb. These stories were originally written by, you guessed it, Mother Goose. Well, no, not really Mother Goose. Mother Goose was the fictional author. They were really written by a French author in 1695, and his name was Charles Perrault. Back then it was called Tales of My Mother Goose, and Ravel decided to write this piece, actually a series of pieces, a suite, for these two little children that he knew, Mimi and Jean Gadebski, ages six and seven. The original version was for two pianos, four hands, and each of the movements was based on a story. So the first one was a pavan of Sleeping Beauty. A pavan is a slow, stately dance. Uh, then after that was Tom Thumb. And then Little Ugly Girl, Empress of the Pagoda. A conversation of Beauty and the Beast. And then the Fairy Garden. And then a year later, when he orchestrated it, he expanded it into 11 movements. So in the beginning, he adds a prelude and also a, a spinning wheel dance. And then he adds interludes in between the movements of the stories. The reason why I chose this particular ballet by Ravel, besides the fact that I absolutely love it, is that it's a good illustration of how 20th century composers like Ravel will take a variety of approaches and use a variety of techniques when composing their music. And that's very common in the 20th century period. Composers are not content with simply writing tonal music the way, let's say, Mozart or Beethoven would write tonal music. Mozart will write in the major or the minor moods, but that's pretty much it. Composers like Ravel and Stravinsky and Prokofiev and Debussy, they wanted to really expand their harmonic palette and experiment with a variety of styles and a variety of different types of scales. So in this piece, in this one ballet, we do find examples of traditional tonal music, in other words, there are parts of the piece that are in the major or the minor mode, like Mozart, although Ravel will add different tones to make the harmonies sound a lot jazzier. That's one thing that's common of music of the 20th century. With all these added notes to the harmonies, you get a very jazzy flavor, although it's not jazz music. But then he'll also use older modes called the church modes, and the church modes predate the major and the minor modes. For example, there's a mode called the Dorian mode that eventually became the minor mode, and then there's also another mode called the Lydian mode, which eventually became the major mode. So he plays around with those. He also uses something called pandiatonicism. Whoa, what is that? Well, it's a little bit like Impressionism, and Season 1, Episode 1 discussed Impressionism, in that episode, we talked about Debussy's 
prelude to the afternoon of a fawn, so you might want to check that out. But what happens with pan-diatonicism is imagine a regular scale, you know, like a C major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. And now imagine all the harmonies that are based on that scale. Now, when Mozart uses those harmonies, he uses what's called functional harmony, and that chords progress to other chords. There are kind of rules in tonal music, and also with the church modes, the older church modes, where certain chords have to progress to other chords. There's a lot of different things you can do. They don't just go in one direction. So there's a variety of ways to manipulate the chords. But there are still rules of tonal harmony. As a matter of fact, that's what I teach when I teach advanced placement music theory at the high school where I teach. Well, we go over all those rules. That's what the advanced placement test is based on. Now, what happens with pan-diatonicism in the 20th century is that all the chords that I just described based on that major scale that I just sang for you, they lose their function. So no longer do these chords have to go in certain places based on rules. You could do absolutely anything you want because they have lost their function. Now, that sounds a lot like Impressionism. When I was describing Impressionism way back in Season 1, Episode 1, that's kind of the way I described it. The difference is that with pan-diatonicism, you're limited to the chords of the white keys of the piano. So just imagine a scale using only the white keys of the piano, but not the black keys. So if you use the black keys, then you get into something called chromaticism, which is another thing that I described in season one. With pan-diatonicism, you're really working with the chords in a major scale. You're not working with other chromatic chords that are outside that scale. With impressionism, you could do absolutely anything. You're not just limited to the white keys of the piano. I hope that makes sense. Now, when I say limited to the white keys of the piano, what I'm really talking about is the keys of a normal major scale. When you do major scales starting on different notes, you actually do have black keys. But as long as the white and the black keys are all part of the major scale and nothing else, just part of the major scale, and the chords derived from those notes are not functional in the sense of tonal music, they don't have certain functions based on tonal music, then you have a freer type of harmonic system called pan-diatonicism. It's kind of like a free-for-all. You just use these chords that Mozart and Beethoven used in any way you want. They could go anywhere, it doesn't really matter, you do whatever you want. But the genius is finding something that really works. Now, finally, I should mention that when you compose with pan-diatonicism, you don't just have to use the major mode. Remember, I was describing a major scale. You can also use a minor scale because a diatonic scale, that's what they're called, diatonic scales, a diatonic scale can be either a major scale, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, or they could be a minor scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. So let's see. So far, we said that he uses the traditional tonal harmonic systems, like the major and the minor modes. He also uses the older church modes. He uses pan-diatonicism. And he also uses impressionism, because 
When Ravel was composing in France in the early 20th century, he and Debussy were the foremost composers of this new Impressionism in music, which really began earlier than that in art. In general, the isms usually begin in the art world, and then they get transferred to the music world later. So let's dive into this. I'm going to play you first the first four measures of the movement called Pavan of Sleeping Beauty in the Wood. First of all, that's an excellent example of how a composer can produce a beautiful effect with the simplest of means. That was simply two-voice counterpoint. In other words, there were two melodic lines happening. That's it. The left hand was playing one melodic line and the right hand playing the other. And, and yet it really creates a beautiful effect. The other thing is that it's not tonal in nature. So since he's painting a picture of a fairy tale, right? This is Sleeping Beauty. So instead of using a, a simple tonal language like Mozart and Beethoven would use, in other words, the major and the minor mode, he opts for a, an older mode, a church mode. It happens to be called the Aeolian mode, A-E-O-L-I-A-N. And I think the use of this older mode, the Aeolian mode, gives the music a flavor of a once upon a time fairy tale um, old story kind of feeling. And it's also good for a pavan because a pavan is a very slow, it could be a melancholy kind of a dance. Now listen to what happens right after what I just played. we have here first uh, is the melody. But then we have an inner line that's going up and down chromatically like this. And if you put them together, That inner line that's oscillating up and down, that's called a line cliché. What, what happens with a line cliché is you're coloring a chord, a single chord, by moving one note up and down. Kind of like this. In that case, I'm taking a C major chord, and I'm moving the upper note called the fifth. Remember, a triad is root third fifth. I'm moving that upper, upper note up and down chromatically, like this. By doing that, you're just coloring a chord. So this section by Ravel is kind of impressionistic in that he's kind of just sitting on this one chord. And in Impressionism, what happens is a chord becomes a sound. It just takes on the quality of a, of a sound. It doesn't have a function. It's not moving anywhere. So this, this part is kind of Impressionistic in that he's just reveling in the, in the color of one chord 
and uh, it doesn't move, doesn't progress to another chord. But listen to the last two chords of that section. That's really a, another modal progression, aeolian. And you might say, well, what would it sound like at the end there if instead of it was a church mode, what if it sounded like just the regular minor mode? Well, that would sound like this. Instead of this. Now let's listen to the next part. I'm just going to play the bass line to that part. Listen to the bass. What was happening there is the bass was descending by an interval called the fifth. It's called a fifth because the notes are five notes apart. That's a fifth. Another one, another one. Traditionally, what this is called is a descending fifth sequence. It's descending because the notes are going down, they're getting lower, and each time it goes down, it's going by a fifth. And the word sequence in music simply means a repeating transposed pattern. So it's a repeating pattern of some sort, but every time it repeats, it gets either a little bit lower or a little bit higher. In this case, it's getting a little bit lower. The notes are going lower. So this is a traditional chord progression that dates way, way back, all the way to the Baroque period. So this is really just tonal music, the kind of thing that Bach, Mozart, or Beethoven would do, although the harmony is colored with a church mode, again, the Aeolian mode, and the other thing is that there are some jazz harmonies in there, even though this is not jazz music. And now let's listen to the next section. Well, that was very similar to one of the passages I played before, where there's an inner voice oscillating up and down, not chromatically, but it was doing kind of like a line cliche, as I was describing before. So this is another impressionistic section, where one sound quality, one color, is being explored throughout that passage. So if you think about it, what have we got in this short piece? We have church mode harmony. It's called modal harmony, in other words, the Aeolian mode. We have an example, or, or more than one example, of Impressionism. We also have an example of tonal harmony, where it really just sounded like the minor mode colored with some jazz harmonies. So a lot is going on in this little piece, and yet it all holds together. It really does. Ravel is teaching us that in the 20th century, you could really blend many different harmonic systems from different historical periods and make it all work together as a whole. Now I'd like to play the entire movement, the orchestral version, so you could really appreciate what's going on from beginning to end. 
that little piece has the simplicity and beautiful lyricism that characterizes a piece by Mozart. Mozart's music can sometimes be very simple, but still very beautiful. Now I'd like to dive right into a recording of the movement called Little Tom Thumb. So let's listen to a little bit of that first. Okay, what I'm going to do now, similar to what I did before, I'm going to play for you only the bass line from the very beginning of that movement. Those of you who know music theory out there know that what I played was simply a minor scale. The kind of scale that, again, Bach, Beethoven, or Mozart would use. But is this music in the minor mode? Well, not really. Let me explain why. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play in slow motion the chords that you hear when the main melody comes in. So let's listen to this. So we have two things happening here. First of all, the bass line that I played is just a minor scale. Nothing strange about that. But the way Ravel harmonizes each of those notes is not functional. So this is an example of pan-diatonicism, because one chord follows the next without following the rules of traditional Western European music. For example, Listen again to the first eight chords, one at a time. Those chords were C minor, D minor, E flat major, then C minor again, then F minor, G minor, F major, G major. Now it's true that some of those chords are related within the tonal system, and some aren't, but the main point is that none of the great masters of tonal music, like Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven, would have written anything quite like that, because in this case, even though the underpinning, the bass line, is a simple minor scale, the progression itself of the chords ignores all the rules of traditional progression. Ravel is simply having one chord, 
follow the next, follow the next, because he likes the sound of that progression, and that's exactly what pan-diatonicism is. Now, later in this movement, there's a very impressionistic section where Ravel is imitating the sounds of birds using strings and woodwinds. This is a terrific passage. You're going to love this. finally, let's listen to a little bit of the beginning of the movement that's called Conversations Between Beauty and the Beast. And this is really just a tonal piece. It's in the key of F major, and there's really nothing especially impressionistic about it. It's, it's really a piece that can be analyzed with a traditional harmonic system, although a lot of the chords are colored with some extra notes that give it a jazz feel. Now remember, this is not jazz music but many of the chords are what we call jazz harmonies. There's a beautiful sweetness about this music that really paints a good picture of beauty and Beauty and the Beast. one of the episodes of season one, I was speaking about how a lot of the music, particularly of the 19th century, when nationalism was very prevalent in the arts, a piece of music can sound, for instance, French, or it could sound Spanish or English or German. This piece of music is definitely French. When you listen to Ravel, you could hear French. And I was addressing that issue. And what is it that makes it sound French? Well, that comes with experience. If you listen to a lot of French music and German music and English music, you can kind of just listen to it without knowing the composer and just saying to yourself, well, that's French or that's German. It, it works out a lot of the times. There are stylistic gestures that you can point to and say, oh, this is the reason why it sounds German or French. But that would take me a long time, many, many podcasts to explain. You would have to know a, quite a bit of music theory and music history to really get a grasp of that. If you enjoyed this, then I encourage you to listen to the rest of the ballet, Mother Goose. And if you like Ravel's orchestral music, uh, all his orchestral music is recorded by Chandos in a bunch of CDs. And that recording is Jan Pascal Tortelli conducting the Ulster Orchestra. I hope you join me in the next episode, because there's one thing about Dr. Music. It just gets better and better.